Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. They say eloquence is half the responsibility of the audience. There has been times to where I've come up here and I've preached a message and I walked off the stage and I thought to myself, I should probably resign and never do that again. That is the worst this is the worst thing you have ever publicly done. You should be embarrassed and ashamed of yourself. And then somebody will call me and say, I don't know like what's going on in your life, but did God just talk to you about me specifically? I'm like, I listen, I wish the Lord would talk to me at this point about anything, you know, but I don't have any, any, any insight for you. Well, that message was incredible. Okay, whatever. I don't know. Eloquence is half on the hearer. Hearing is how we build faith. Faith comes by hearing. There's this, there's this weird deal that happens when we meet publicly and we discuss God's word. It moves into our life and it changes us. The scriptures talk about hearers, different kinds of hearers, Jesus has a line in today's passage, and this is it. This is the line. Let him who has ears hear. <laughs> it's kind of like, okay. Is there more? Yeah, there's more. Let me read you this passage, and then I'll explain to you maybe kind of some of the stuff I opened up with. After this, coming off of the, uh, the uh, sinful woman anointing Jesus' feet, if you remember from last week, you are not your sin. Uh, chapter 8, verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. We're going to skip a couple of verses because we want to come back to them uh, at a, a different, different time. Uh, down to verse 4. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. Here's Jesus' sermon. Are you ready? Brace yourself. It's four or five whole verses. All right? Here's Jesus' sermon. A farmer went out to sow some seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on the rock, and when it, ca and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Others fell among the thorns, which grew up, and it was choked out by the plants. Still, other seed fell in the good soil. It came up, it yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. The end. Uh, Jesus should have took a homiletics class and learned a little something about how to close out a sermon with a little bit of application. And then he ends it with this. Let him who has ears hear. Can you imagine if you got up on a Sunday morning, you got dressed, you got your kids up, you got your good shirt out, you ironed it, you showed up, you walked in here. We got started on time right around 1040. <laughs> five. And you sat down. You drove from wherever you're, Moran, Yates Center, Chanute, wherever. You drove, you sat down, and then I came out and I said, there was a farmer and he had some seed and he threw it all over the ground. Some landed on a path, some landed in, in the rocks, some landed in the thorns, and some landed in the, in the garden where he meant for it to go and it grew up real big and tall. Have a good afternoon. 
Can you imagine? Now listen, these people walked how, however far they walked from town after town, village after village, to show up to hear Jesus speak. And Jesus says, the farmer had some seed and he slung it everywhere. Some of it even grew. Listen to a guy tell a story. He says, can you imagine? Man goes home. His wife says, so did you hear Jesus speak? <laughs> I did. What did he talk about? You know, he just uh, told some stories. What were they about? I don't know. They were kind of about like a lot of stuff, like farming and ground and birds and soil and I don't know. He turns and he walks out the door, walks back out to his field. He starts working the ground. Gets his old mule and his plow, ties it on. He's going, to, he's going along. Clunk! His plow hits a rock. Goes around, gets the rock, picks the rock up, throws it out of the way. Can't have those in the middle of the garden. You can't do it. There'll be seed that'll be planted on top of that rock. And you know what'll happen? That rock will get hot. There's no moisture. The plant's not going to work. It'll be a patch right there. Can't do that. No, you're going to throw the rocks out. This is no good. He runs back inside. Okay, I remember what the stories were about. Why? Because a parable is kind of like eating a good steak. And you finish eating it, and then you leave, and you're going like this. Right? Because you got a thing up here. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but it's something there. Something stuck between your teeth, and that's what a parable does. It's a story that's told, and it just wanders around inside your mind because then here's what happens. We are self-centered individuals, and so here's our role in the parable. Who are you? I asked my wife this question because I was struggling with it myself. I said, who are you in the parable? And she says, we're the seed. And I said, no, the scripture says the seed is the word of God. Oh, I'm the dirt. No, you're, you're not the dirt. That's what I thought. I thought we were the dirt. We're not the dirt. I'm a rock. You're not a rock. Um, we're the plant that kept. No, that's the seed that grew. The, I don't know where I fit in this story. That's what I mean. So you just sit and you ponder on this. Where am I? If we were to start at the beginning, what is this parable about? We would say, it's obviously about a farmer who's obviously very careless. Did you see this? Did you see what he did? This farmer gets this bag of seed and he walks out. Here's the garden right here. And this is what he does. He walks out and he goes just like this. He throws it all straight up in the air. Some of it goes over the fence. Some of it gets in the dirt road. Some of it is all the way back. It's so stacked up on top of his tractor, just throwing it. What kind of farmer does this? I could probably ask several of you who farm, is that how you guys plant seeds? Some of you would be like, yes, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, because it's not my seed. I don't give a crown. But is that how you farm? No. You purposely throw it out into the dirt road? No. For what reason would you? Is he careless? This this great gardener, is he just careless? No. It's a metaphor, silly. He's not careless. 
So who's the sower? Well, like the prodigal son. I'm about to tell you a story about the prodigal son. Man had two sons. One came to his father and said, when you die, you know, you're going to give me an inheritance, but maybe you could give it to me before you die. And then you wouldn't have to give it to me after you die. You can watch me enjoy it, you know? The dad's like, what? Okay. He gives it to him. The kid runs off, blows it on cheap booze and cheaper women. It's an absolute mess. Finally, he comes home. Sad, he's broke down, he's been eating pig slop, which is really no good and super unclean and unhealthy, especially if you're a Jewish boy. He gets down to the end of the driveway and he's rehearsing his speech. Here's what I'm gonna tell him. I'm gonna be like, could I just like go to work for you, maybe even part-time, just get a few hours here and now until I get back on my feet? And because I know I may have really messed it up and I apologize. I kind of put the farm in jeopardy and, and all this kind of deal. And then he hears that old slam and scream door that he used to hear when he was a kid in the summer when he would run out and would sling that big long spring. Smack. And he looks up and here comes this old man running down the driveway. He's got his whole robe gathered up and he's on a direct run to him. And if you're the son, you're thinking to yourself, he's probably going to tackle me, I'm pretty sure. Or drop kick me at least. He's got his robe pulled up. He's going to drop kick me. And the dad gets all the way down there and as the reader, you hear the story and you're like, get him get him he's an idiot you should get him and it gets all the way down there and the father does not drop kicking him he does not tackle him but he throws his arms around him and he says my son who is the father and we all go god is the father who's the bad son that's probably you and me if i tell you the story about the shepherd who has a hundred sheep but one wanders off and gets lost. And the shepherd leaves the 99. Bad business move, but leaves the 99 to go find the one. It's obviously dumb. It's obviously not worth what it should be worth anyway. It just wanders off and doesn't know how to stay put. It's, but he goes, who's the shepherd? You scream, God is the shepherd. He's the great shepherd. And we get to this story. Who is the sower of the seed? It's obvious. This is God's grand garden, and he's the great sower of seed. Yes, you got it. But who else is the sower of seed? Every single one of those stories has implication for our life. Every parable has an implication. God is the hero, but you should model your life after him you should model your grace and your forgiveness and your patience after him your persistence in running people down and letting them know that you love them like the good shepherd did the one and when we get to this story who's the great sower god is but we are too if you are a christian you're a baptized believer you're a new creation you also it is implied should be the sower what do we know about this sower? He's not good with being frugal, you know? He's slinging seed everywhere. Why? Because he's fair. That's why. Because it's a metaphor. When we talk about all the kind of ground that is there, it's a metaphor. What's it a metaphor for? Hearers. It's more about where do you stand? Where do you stand in God's great garden? It's interesting. The disciples come to Jesus, 
As soon as he gets done telling the story, they kind of pull him aside. Can you see, can you, can you like visualize this for just a second? Jesus tells this parable and the disciples are standing around. There's people everywhere and the disciples, they don't really know what just happened. They don't know what just, what was just said. But they go like this. Huh. Like that look of like, I don't want people to know that I don't know what that means. Good point, Jesus. And then Jesus kind of, uh, the disciples kind of get him to the side and the disciples like, yo, what does that mean? What even does that mean? Jesus has to tell the whole parable again. See, listen, here's the deal. If you have to explain a joke, it's really not funny anymore, is it? Hey, did you hear about the coyote, the real dumb one that chewed off three of his legs and was still caught in a trap? I don't get it. They chew off a leg to get out of the trap, but it chewed off the wrong three. It's not funny now, no? If you have to explain it, and Jesus is looking at him like, let me explain it to you. He goes on. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. It's the hearers. That's where we are. And when the devil comes, he takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and may not be saved. Now, there's another place you can stand in the garden, and that's in the rocks. Verse 13, those on the rocks are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. But they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of test, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked out by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word who retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. All the disciples in unison were like, oh, now I get it. The problem with a passage like this is that you can preach it, but you really can't tell it. If I just read you the story, it's like, okay, well, that's helpful. But see, we need more depth than this. You see, let him who has ears hear. That means you better dive in like this. You have to dive into this. But see, here's the problem. There are those who are on the road, the path, out on the pathway. It's how you get into the farm. You don't plant corn there, do you? You don't open up the gate, you just plant it right along there, do you? No, of course you don't. Why? Well, because that would be silly. Most of it's not going to come up anyway. You're going to be driving in and out of there. That's ridiculous. Some of us are there. Some of us are on the path. It's hard. We pull gravel in there. We've driven over it over and over and over. Maybe there's potholes and they're full of water. Can't grow corn there. It's just travel. It's impenetrable. The heart is too hard and calloused and bitter. It will not give Jesus a chance. And he says, the sower will even throw the word of God, the seed, out on the path just so that he can say, there's no excuses. You've been told. You've been warned. I've thrown seed there. See, there are some places we can go to where I can promise you, you will not hear the word of God. I can list them off. See, there's people who say, you know, yeah, I think I'd like to grow spiritually. But are they in church? No. 
They're not. They make it a priority? No. There's no interest. Those on the road, on the path, it's hard. It's dusty. They're bitter and they're calloused. But then there's the rocks. See, the rocks are kind of about appearances. You can grow something on top of the rocks. Nobody really needs to know what's below the surface. You can actually grow something there. So long as the sun uh, is st stays a little shaded by the clouds, you, know, you might be able to survive a little while. So long as you get a little rain, but the elements have to be perfect because as soon as the sun comes up and the scorching heat comes out, what happens? Jesus says, in the times of testing, they falter and they wither and they lose faith. You said one of the saddest things that you see inside of churches is you get groups of people who come in and they are on fire for the Lord. They talk about all the wonderful things that they would love to do and they would love to be involved. I did a wedding one time for a gal uh, and, and, a, and, a, and a guy. They were, they were married together. Did this, did this wedding. And, but the gal was telling me, she's like, I really, really want to get involved in the church. And I said, well, that would be wonderful. I mean... I come from a ministry school back here. When my last church, I did this. And, and, and I would love to just be involved and, and put something out for like women's ministry. And I was like, what a wonderful thing. That would be excellent. I hope, I hope to see you next week. Okay, great. I think they made it two more weeks after the wedding. I haven't seen them since. Sad. Maybe they're going somewhere else. I don't know. But it was sad. Like you just see people come in and then they leave. There's people you know. They're not going anywhere. They're not coming back. They would like to. But things got hard. And when things are good, things are good. And it's all okay. But when things get hard, we quit. We completely pull away from it. We abandon everything. We isolate ourselves. And we just beat ourselves down. We can't engage any longer. That's the rock. The self-reliant. I'll do it myself. I'll do it myself. I can get myself out of this. I can do this. I'm the one that's in control. And then as soon as we're not in control anymore, it's absolute catastrophe, the rocks. And Jesus says this. The sower throws seed, even among the thorns. The thorns, you know what's good about the thorns? There's ample soil where the thorns are. There's plenty of moisture, plenty of sunlight. Obviously things grow in the thorns. It's a fine place to throw it. But here's the way this says it. Here's the way this, this reads out. As it grew up with the thorns, as the thorns grew up with it, nobody came along and pulled the thorns up out of there. No one dug the thorn bushes out of there. They just came up with the seed. The problem is, is that these little spirally tentacles that come off they just wrap around everything and eventually choke everything out. It's also the root system. As the root system below begins to branch out, it grabs a hold of the root system of other things and squeezes the life completely out of it. We don't even need to um, guess on what these things are. So what are the thorns? Jesus explains it right here. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked out, and he lists three things, by life's worries, 
life's worries, riches, and lust or worldly pleasure. Life's worries, riches, and pleasure. Jesus goes ahead and identifies them and says, these are the things. Do you want to know what will hold you up spiritually? Want to know what will hold you up spiritually? Why you sometimes grow and then it seems like somebody just comes along and chokes you completely out. You just cannot get past the adversity. The sins you cannot overcome. You always return, like what the Bible says, as a dog returns to his vomit, so the sinner returns to his folly. Why do we always go back to the same thing? Jesus explains it. It's these three things. You see, where are you standing in the garden of God? Are you standing among the thorns? Here's what it sounds like if you do. It's okay if I stand over here. These people are my friends. I can stand over here. It's just one, it's just some of the guys getting together. It's just us girls hanging out. We can stand over here. I can be over here. It's all right. I can love Jesus and still live among all of this over here in the thorns. You can't stand there. You want to know why? Because the word of God is delicate and it's jealous and you have to care for it and if you don't it'll die every year somebody somebody buys my wife a plant she teaches at the school they buy her a plant or a flower she hauls them home and they sit there on the table and you know what it, after a little while it doesn't really matter how much water you put in there. Like you just keep it full of water. At some point, it just dies. And then it just like drops all these petals all over the table and like we still think it's cute and pretty for a long, long time. You know, it's dead. It's a skeleton of what it was before. It just sits there. We don't really care for it. I mean, we just hacked it off the, 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 the plant, stuck it in a vase. Hey, here you go. Watch it die for the next couple of weeks. It'll be a good time, you know. The Word of God is very much the same way. Like you cannot subject it to that kind of thing and expect it to grow. The soil has to be good. The moisture has to be good. The sunlight has to be good. There can't be other things around it choking it out all the time. Here's why. The root system of these sins right here will entangle us. But let's be honest for just a second. Life's worries? Really? Anybody here never worried? Never? Wealth and riches. Does anybody here not need money? I don't need it. I don't need any money. I'll be fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. Lust and pleasure? I mean, God created the world handed it over and said, enjoy. He tied lust and pleasure into the whole procreation process, right? So what's the expectation? Jesus is saying to the people, listen, if you're going to, for, the, for the word of God to sprout in your life and grow, you need to hold down to some pretty hardcore puritanical views. No PG-13 movies or anything else that's worse than that ever again ever again get away from all you sinful friends 
No more drinking, no more carousing, no more nothing. In fact, don't look at the beer. When we were little, that's what my mom would say when we go down the grocery aisle. Be like, hey, I'm like, what? Don't look at that. But it's all silvery and cool looking. Like, hey, 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 don't look over there. Okay. So we go by. Is this what Jesus wants? You want a spanking? No, buddy wants a spanking. Is this what Jesus wants? This puritanical views? This puritanical lifestyle? If you want the word of God, okay, you better straighten up and fly right. Okay. Is this it? I think there's something else there. Are any of these things, they are all by nature neutral things. Things are going to unfold in your life and immediately your response is going to be, oh, I hope it goes okay. Worrier, now you're going to hell. Right? This doesn't work. What is he saying? It's not the thing. It's not these three things. It's what you do with these three things. You see, <laughs> standing among the thorns is as, as American as apple pie. We are worried about wealth so that we can enjoy our life, correct? Welcome to America. Nah, 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 nah. Right? This is us. We are so in the thorn patch, right over here, right stuck in the middle of the bracken and bramble. Right over here. This is us. How do we move from there? Do the anxieties of life mess you up? Anxieties of life mow you down? Do you know what scripture says about anxiety? <laughs> Calm down. Some of you are like, oh, don't say it's naughty. No, it's good. It's, you're good. You're good. You know, what, you know what scripture says about anxiety? Let me read you this. Philippians 4, 6. Concerning anxiety. Do not be anxious about everything, um, about anything, but in every situation, by prayer, petition, and thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So I begin to feel anxious. I begin to have this anxiety about something going on in my life. My response to that is this. Okay, I need to, by prayer and petition, and, listen to this, thanksgiving. What? Oh, great, my whole world's falling apart. You should thank Jesus for that. Really? Absolutely, you should. You absolutely should thank God for that. Uh, God, I'm uh, thankful that my world is falling apart right now. I would like for you to fix it and for it to not fall apart right now. And this is what I do. I take my prayers and my petition with thanksgiving to God when I feel anxious. What's the point? Is something, does, what happens next? Verse 7, Philippians 4, 7. If you need to write down Philippians 4, 6, and 7, write it down. That way you don't, you don't forget. And Paul says, here's the promise when we do this. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do you hear this? And a peace that you cannot understand with your mind will guard your heart and mind. Is this a riddle? 
a peace that you cannot cognitively understand will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Did anybody need their heart guarded a little bit? I'll tell you a conversation I had with my youngest daughter yesterday. We were talking about some specific, some private specific things that you can't know about. And I said, here's one of the things you got to remember. When you grow up, you will understand this better. But when you were younger and you begin to have some sort of crush on some sort of boy, girl, you, uh, you have to guard your heart. You have to guard your heart. Moms and dads, listen, if you've got little ones, this is, a, this is a fine, 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 fine speech to hand over to them. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. And I said, you used to know a Bible verse. What was the Bible verse that you knew? Because we'd spent some time learning it. She says, um, guard your heart with all diligence because from it flows the springs of life. And I was like, well done. Yes, that's the one. So what we talked about was you keep your heart on a leash. You keep your heart on a short leash. Why? Because I don't know about you, but mine will wander off. True? It's pretty easy to fall in love, don't you think? It's pretty easy to look at something and be like, I should do that. It just feels right. You've heard the phrase, follow your heart. Should you ever follow your heart? No, never. Why? Because it's a liar. My heart has told me things that I should do so many times. I should do that. You should not do that. The police say you shouldn't do that. And if the police say it, you definitely shouldn't do it. Don't do it. Follow your heart. No. So what should we do? Keep your heart reined in. Why? If I keep my heart reined in and I go to God with my prayers and my petition, my thanksgiving, he will guard my heart. He will keep it on a short leash. He will protect it. He won't let it get out of the yard. It won't get out in traffic. It'll stay inside the fence where it belongs. What about the riches of the world? Paul writes to his, to his uh, young companion, Timothy, and he tells him, those who want to get rich fall into temptation more often. Really? They give themselves more problems. They bring on ruin and destruction. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. The pursuit of the dollar. If I can just make more, if I can just do this, if I can just keep in this position. It's so long as people see all my stuff and they think I'm a high roller, then we're sitting pretty, right? Ridiculous give ourselves more problems you ask a wealthy man is it easy to be wealthy he will tell you no it's not easy to be wealthy what does it cost you it's cost me it has cost me the third one is this worldly lusts worldly pleasure and lust first uh, first thessalonians 4 it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, and each one should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. Verse 7, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, 
the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. What it's saying is this. We wander out. We let the lust of our mind and the lust of our heart lead and guide our life. Immediately, we become impure in God's eyes. We promised him at our baptism that we would take our lives, our bodies, and make them holy and living sacrifices for God. Pleasing to the Lord. And now we're going to do a take back? Jesus don't like take backs. You didn't like it when somebody took back the pocket knife and a baseball card that you let them hold when you were in grade school, did you? No, of course you didn't. Jesus doesn't like it either. Here, Jesus, you can have my heart. Oh, it is Friday night, though. I got plans. Here, Jesus, you can hold it, except she's pretty cute. Here, Jesus, you can have my heart. Oh, can, uh, can I get that back just for a minute? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You see, what God promises is this. And although this sounds like bad news, here's the promise. When we offer God our hearts, when we move ourselves from the thorns or the rocks or the path, we move ourselves over into the good soil, and there we stand. God promises this, that if we will seek first his righteousness and his kingdom, he will give us everything else. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. There will be no need for you to pursue the dollar. You'll be fine. The worldly lusts, you'll be fine. The anxieties of life, they will just drift and just run right off your back. See, that's the beauty of what God promises, is he promises us something better if we keep our focus on him. Finally, you who are in the good soil, some of you are, you're in the good soil. Your life just continues to reproduce. You continue to bring people into the Lord. You continue to bring them to church. You continue to tell your story. You continue to encourage and care about one another. You, you, you continue to stand in the gap and love people who are difficult to love. Some of you are doing it. And let me tell you what happens. You will produce a crop a hundredfold of what you sow into the ground. Where do you lack? Where do you lack? Is it in relationships? Because I want to tell you a principle. If you lack in the area of relationships, well, I just don't have anybody who seems to care about me. No one just really wants to be the church to me. This is why the church is full of hypocrites, because they don't want to love me. And if that's how you feel and that's your lack, let me give you just a quick word of advice. Maybe you should invest in somebody else other than yourself. Right? Maybe stop being a baby and invest in somebody else. The world is not about you. You invest. Where do you lack? Do you lack in finances? Let me give you a little piece of advice. Stop going like this all the time with your white knuckles and your greedy little fingers and start going like this and watch what happens. You don't believe it? Do it. Do it. Promise you. Watched it happen a bajillion times in my own life. Oh my goodness, we're going to have to just scrape to get by. Oh my goodness, this is such a mess. What are we going to do? How are we going to handle this situation? You know what? This is how we're going to handle the situation. That just was completely counterintuitive. That was wrong. And there it goes. There goes the last one. You know what happens? Every single time. 
God comes through. You know why? Because you can't outgive God. What about your anxieties in life? Struggling? Buried under it? When's the last time you called a friend who you thought to yourself, they seem like they're down a little bit. I should call them. You want your anxieties to dissipate? Meet somebody else in theirs. Sacrifice for theirs. That makes all the difference in the world for us. These are spiritual principles, a hundredfold, God promises.